Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Good morning. Welcome to all of our campuses, all of you watching online, all of us here. Man, it's a good day. I woke up early this morning, Kate went outside, it was 60-something degrees, God's will for uh, our lives, right? So I love the 60-degree stuff. Um, football season starting today. I see the wrong jerseys a lot in our church. Some of you need to get saved. Um, today, though, uh, among all those things is a day that none of us will ever forget where we were on 9-11-2001. It was a day uh, of great pain for our country in New York City and uh, Washington, D.C. and Pennsylvania and then the lives that were affected all along the way. The people who lost their lives as well as the people who gave their lives. The firefighters, the police officers, the medics and so forth, first responders who rushed in to actually lay down their lives to save a few. And then those who lost their lives flying on a plane like many of us do. Uh, working in their office like many of us do, lost their lives. And today, I want to pause for just a second as across all of our campuses and online, and I want us to pray for those families who are reminded, you know, it's good for us to look back as a country on celebrations of, of milestones and of good things, and it's also to remember some of the things we learn from. And yet, when we do, those families who lost loved ones or who uh, sacrificed uh, loved ones in that whole, on that day, um, they're always reminded, an empty chair today at lunch, um, Christmas will never be the same for them, and so on and so forth. I was struck, though, too, in that season, if you remember that season, 2001, um, the tremendous amount of unity in our country. Political parties kind of fell away, and we all, well, I say we all, a lot of this country prayed, humbled ourselves before the Lord. Our largest attendance in the two years that we had existed, 2000 and 2001, was the day after 9-11. Many people came back to God and, 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 and fell to the Lord, and, and that's a good thing. I think it would be appropriate for us to pray for our country today that we could come in unity without a tragedy. And that starts with you and me. That starts with you and me praying that we'd have the right spirit even when we disagree with someone. I was talking to, by email, to a leader in our city and uh, asking for prayer that the tremendous amount of uh, challenge and uh, disunity in, in, in some areas asking for prayer, and I think it would be appropriate for us to pray for our nation, to pray for our state, to pray for our cities and our local government, school boards, and so forth, that God would help us as Christ followers to lead the way in love, to lead the way in unity, and, and I'm not trying to go back to 9-11, but man, what, what would happen if the people of God led the way in being a peacemaker the way Jesus called us to do? So let's pray. Would you pray with me? And let's pray for those families. Let's pray for our country. Lord, we're so grateful for your grace on our lives. And we will never forget, many of us that were alive during that time, we will never forget where we were. And we solemnly look back 
in memory and in gratitude for those who gave their lives and to those who lost their lives. We pray for the families that today will be reminded once again of their loss. And we pray that your comfort and your peace, if they don't know you, you would reveal yourself to them. That God, in, in, in whatever way we can as believers surround them with our love and our prayer and your peace. God, we pray for our nation. We pray for our president. I pray that you would bless him and his family and give him wisdom and those around him. We pray for our state. We pray for our governor. We pray for those around him that you would bless and give wisdom. We pray for our cities, our mayors, our city council people, and our school boards and so on. We pray that you would give wisdom. And Lord, as, as believers, I pray that we would lead the way in being peacemakers. We would lead the way in love. And we would lead the way in prayer. Believing that the changes needed in our country are not going to happen in Washington, D.C. They're going to happen in the house of God and the people of God as we lead the way. So may your kingdom come and may your will be done in our lives, in our cities, in our states, in our nation as we humble ourselves before you, pray, seek your face, and turn from our wicked ways, believing that you will hear our prayers and you will heal our land, not just for the sake of healing, but for the sake of influence in this nation and around the world for the glory of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, today, very excited about today, good day. Uh, week five of the series, The Life You've Always Wanted, trading the purposes, the dreams, the goals of our lives for God's. Here's the reason why we're doing this series, aligning ourselves aligning and spending our lives, learning to know God's purpose in every season of our lives, aligning, learning to know God's will. And that, and that purpose in our lives may change in seasons, it may not, but learning to know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the reason we're doing this series, so that we can understand how to walk in the center of God's will all the time, as best as we can. Keep walking toward that center of God's will. Our text for the whole series is Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Paul the apostle says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, your lives to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Out of the, these two verses comes our outline. We talked about this in week one, and, and I did the whole message on the first two points, and that was don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. What does that mean? Selfish, greedy, arrogant, get first, take advantage at any cost. The kind of culture that we live in today, rather than that, we allow God to transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. We become servants rather than superstars. We go last rather than first. And I know it's contrary to culture, it's contrary to even our, our sinful nature, 
But if we can learn to do that, not copying the behaviors and customs, aligning ourselves with God through allowing him to transform us, the Holy Spirit comes in and begins that, that work in our hearts and we put the effort forth to let him do that, then true worship. Verse one, this is truly the way to worship him. That's what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. How can we truly understand how to worship God? Because many times when you hear the word worship, you think of singing. You think of song or song service. But worship is way, 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 way bigger than that. Zoom out of, of, of that. And, and that's what we've been talking about over the last three weeks. I, I've, I've given you a graphic to help understand the category, categories or areas of our lives. Hopefully this, is, this encompasses most of our lives. We started with self, the lordship issue, that you gotta make Jesus the Lord of your life, not just the savior. That, that includes giving him our good, our talents, our gifts, and our sin on a continual basis. We just bring it, offer it up to you. Then we talked about spiritual formation and the importance of power, the power of prayer and, and, and reading God's word and community and so forth. But the reasons why is so that during the challenging times, we don't lose our faith. We persevere. We triumph. We're in victory, whether we're in the valley or whether they're in the mountain. Last week, we talked about song and the importance of the power of song in our lives. And, and man, I hope that you came in today maybe a little bit different during our singing time that you would actually concentrate and worship God in, in the power of song. And, and today, I'm glad you came. We're gonna talk about money, and I know you get excited. Thank you. Hey, that's awesome. I love it. Across all of our campuses, if you brought a visitor today, you're welcome. It is it is, it is a, listen, I understand in the church talking about money can be sensitive and there are some acknowledgements that I think are important before I move on to the, to the part of the message that, that it talks about giving. I do think it's important to acknowledge some of the inhibitions, some of the insecurities, some of the sensitivity in regards to talking about money. I would argue that out of all of these, that I'm in the next one, we finish the series next week, but out of all of these, this is the biggest part of our lives. It, I mean, everything revolves around this. And money's not evil, by the way. You know that, right? Money is not evil. It's the love of it. It's when you let it control you that it becomes weird and it becomes, uh, it gets us off track. And we're trying to get into the purpose and the will of God, not out of it. So when we talk about money, it can be sensitive for us. And there's valid reason for that. And I think it's important to acknowledge that as a church. Some of those reasons, or maybe a bad experience at church. Maybe money or otherwise. It doesn't matter if it's just money, but maybe it's, it's all we talk about. The, the church always talks about money or financial mismanagement of the church in some way. A moral failure of a leader or leaders in the church. Too much pressure. It's, it's all we, we, we really need or want from you. Uh, not mission aligned. Maybe you're, you're here at Hope and you're not aligned with, with the mission here. You just, you're like, man, I just don't like this. I say this in, in humility, not in a, a sarcastic way. Let me help you find a church that you can align with. Come to me out there, and, and I, I, I won't like it, but I'll help you, right? If you say, man, this is not the church for me, I'll help you find what you're looking for because I got great friends around here that you can be aligned with because I think that's an important part. Or you feel uncared for. Maybe something happened in your family and the home group or the church, the pastoral staff didn't, didn't come through didn't answer an email or didn't respond to a call or a hospital and, 
And man, it, 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 it stung. These are not insignificant or immature reasons necessarily. Now, if you let it fester, it's immature, but these are real valid issues why it's sensitive to talk about money. Maybe it's just a challenging season in your life, trying to survive right now. And, and me, you know, just talking about it right now is like, John, this is not what I needed today. I prayed with somebody in the lobby this morning, a 17-year-old kid getting ready to go through chemo. And when those kinds of things begin to, to happen in our lives, sometimes talking about something like this can seem insensitive. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And you're just trying to survive. Maybe a job loss, and it's, it's been really hard for you, and you're wondering next month how you're going to make it, maybe even next week. Maybe it's an unexpected financial challenge, a medical thing, a house thing, um, a car thing, you know, whatever. And, and it's like, man, this is a challenging season, John. Could you talk about it sometime else? Because it really, really is real for me right now. Maybe you're financially protective. And what I mean by that is you grew up poor and you fear losing everything. And you made a decision when you were 10 years old or 14 years old or 17 years old that you were never going to live like you're living now. You got free lunches at school and you were embarrassed. You didn't have the clothes that your friends had, the shoes that your friends had, the cars that your friends had, whatever. And, and you said, you made a mental note, I am never going to live like this, right? And, and, and that affects you. And those are real reasons. I'm not in, in, I'm invalidating any of these. Grew up poor and you fear losing everything or you really struggle with generosity. Maybe you're just a selfish person. And I'm talking to some people today in this church, maybe they're easily offended on this subject. You just don't, for whatever, you just don't like talking about it. It's just, it's just offensive. And then the last one, these are valid. Again, you're living on the edge financially. You're just not a good money manager. You're just not a good steward. And, and I know that stings a little bit, but, but many of us have struggled with this. We, we spend all we make. There's no budget. We spend it all and, and we're like, man, where did it go? God's not faithful. Well, you weren't a good steward. Too much debt. We came into Christ. How many know coming to Christ doesn't erase good student loans? Now, coming to America might, but not. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. I was, I'm just kidding. I know, I know. Too much debt, not unity with your spouse. Maybe one of you wants to give and the other doesn't. Can I tell you, I've dealt with that so much over the years. Uh, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And then you just feel guilty every time you talk about it. Because of all these things, you just feel guilty. Can I put you at rest today? Let me, let me help you. Our, our relationship with God in the new covenant is, about, is, it a, is, is just that. It's about relationship, not religion. It's not, it's not about following the rules and performing so that he will accept you. You and I, I want you to hear this. You and I are accepted not because you give, not because you pray, and not because you sing. You and I are accepted by God because of Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel. So today, you can, you can kind of shed that coat of, of insecurity or you know, sensitivity about the subject because my heart for you is as a shepherd, as a pastor, or under shepherd, as a pastor of this church, is to help you. I say these things not for me, and, and I'm a little insecure about it because I derive my living from this church. And so you could say to me, well, you want us to get more so you can get another motorcycle. 
Yes. But, no, I'm kidding. No. It's, it's biblical to pay your leaders. It's biblical to pay your pastors. Um, and you take care of me very well. And I'm so grateful. But it goes beyond that. I'm not tied to any percentage or whatever. It's, it's, it's about stewardship. It's about you, your relationship with God and offering up our life, every part of our life. Listen, everybody look at me. Every part of your life. And I know some of you would rather pray than give. Some of you would rather give than serve. Does that make sense? And we offer up one area really, really high. Song, really, really high. But prayer, not so much. Lordship, not so much. Giving, not so much. You know what I mean? So, so what I'm saying, trying to help us understand that it is all, not just part of us. We offer it all. This is, the tr- this is truly the way to worship him. So relax a minute, and, I, and I'm asking you if, if any of those areas that I listed on the screen are, are part of you. You're, you're just sensitive about it. I'm going to ask you to just take a breath and ask God to speak to you. Say, God, what do you want me to hear today? What do you want to say to me? Not John's opinion, but let your word speak to my heart and give me comfort about this issue because I struggle with this. Be honest with him. So here's, what our, here's where we're going. I want to lay the foundation with some scripture that Jesus gave us. And then I want to give you five principles of giving that I think are really, really important to truly worshiping the Lord in the area of giving. I want to lay the foundation and then give you some principles and we'll be done today. But I really think at the end of this, I want you to stay with me to the end. Even if you brought a guest, Saturday, last night, somebody said, I brought a guest and here's what you talk about. And you know what? The guests loved it. When we won. Okay, so it's no big deal. Today's going to be awesome. But I want you to pray and say, God, what are you speaking to me? What do you want to say to me? Here's the foundation, Matthew chapter six. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talking to, this is a really important message, Matthew five, six, and seven. In chapter six, he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the, big, here's the big sentence. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Guys, this is the crux of giving. Our relationship with God is where is our heart? And where you put your treasure is where your heart is. And that's why this is so important. He goes on to say, same chapter, skip a few verses, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, listen to this, he makes it plain, straight to the point. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is saying this, so send him an email if you don't like it, right? This is Jesus just saying, hey, I wanna help you guys. I wanna help you. And he goes through the Beatitudes, and he goes to being salt and light. He goes through teaching us how to pray. And then he goes through teaching us how to treat one another. Don't take revenge. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. And when it comes to money, he says, guys, this is a true sign of where your heart is with where you put your treasure. Matthew, same chapter, chapter six, skipping three verses 31 don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, and what will we wear? How do we pay the bills? Now, don't raise your hands, but many of us have worried about this. 
Maybe you're, a, uh, maybe you're a single parent in the room and it's like, John, you have no idea. My, my spouse doesn't come through with what they're supposed to do and it is a, I mean, it is an on, listen, man, there's no way I could know what you're going through and, and what that's like. That's a valid worry. But, but here's what Jesus says and, and again, send him the email. This is what he says. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. So, so turn that faith into fear, and I know it's easy for me to say, or turn that fear into faith. It's easy for me to say that, but listen on. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So let me put the foundation for finances on the screen. This is one way to say it. Store up treasure in heaven, putting God's first, in your finances, and then your heart will start moving in the right direction. Heart, this is all about heart. It's all about your heart and where it is with God. You start putting God first in the hardest place that is probably to put him is with our money. Maybe for some of you it's not because you're seasoned and you're mature and you're just like, man, I love to give. Awesome. A lot of us don't. Start there and your heart will begin to follow because your treasure is going in the right place. Does that make sense? So let me give you five principles of giving that I think help us truly offer up our lives, truly worship the Lord. And the reason I say principles is because that's what I mean. They're not laws. We're not under the law. We're not under the curse of the law. Jesus died to fulfill not just a part of the law, all of it. So New Testament covenant, I know some of us, like me, were raised in a, in a totally different era and, it, and it, we were raised in a totally different teaching. What I wanna help us do is, is move over to understand how do we navigate old covenant versus new covenant? How do we learn from the old covenant but not stay under the law or the pressure of the old covenant? How do we learn from it that's why I call these principles of giving, because here's the deal. And I know some of you are going to send me an email. You can. It's okay. I love you. You don't have to pray one more prayer to go to heaven. Prayer. If you don't pray one more time, if you don't read your Bible one more time, you can still go to heaven. If you don't sing one more song, you can still go to heaven. If you don't give one more dime, you can still go to heaven. And I know you, that, I mean, that sounds wrong, doesn't it? It sounds like, no, 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 no. Tell them. Tell them the truth. I am. It's not about our performance. It's about what Jesus did. And because of what he's done, now listen, go back to Romans 12. Because of all he has done for us, the reasonable thing we can do, the least that we can do is offer to him our lives, which includes our money. Principles of giving to help us truly worship God. Number one, the principle of the first and best goes back to Genesis, the story of Cain and Abel. Let's pick it up in chapter four, Genesis. Later, uh, Eve gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. So there's Cain and Abel. Cain was the older, Abel was the younger. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain, uh, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel, his 
best, his first, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. And if you know the rest of the story, Cain turned that anger into murder. He took the life of his brother because he, why, why didn't he just say, God, why did you not accept my offering? I don't understand. What do I need to do? And it would have been simple. God could have said, hey, listen, don't give me the leftovers. And this is what many of us do with the Lord. We, we, for instance, we do our bills, we have our budget, and at the top is mortgage, and then car, and then insurance, and then whatever it is, right? We go through that list. Can I just suggest to you, as just a mental thing, not a law thing, put God at the top? In my checkbook, hope is the number one thing taken out. It's, it's, I do it online, number one thing. It's a mental thing for me that it's gonna be number one. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna say, okay, I'm gonna pay all my bills and then whatever I have left over, I'll give you some, Lord. It's first, it's best. Proverbs says it like this, Proverbs chapter three, honor the Lord with your wealth. See, this is about honor. This is about, about Lord, I understand that what you've given me, it's all his, what you've given me, I'm gonna honor you with my wealth and with the best part of everything I produce. Then, you will, I will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Jesus says it like this in Luke chapter 21. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. She gave the best. Now, I'm not saying you have to give everything. The point here, the point here, let me put it on the screen like this. If we can learn to give God our best rather than the rest, we honor him and put ourselves in the best position for God's blessing. That's the bottom line, guys. And I understand, you don't like, a lot of us don't like that. But how many had kids and they were totally different? One rebellious and one was awesome. Now we love them the same, right? Love my kids the same. All of them were awesome. Sorry for you, all of mine were awesome. But how many know there are times in which they test the patience more than others? Doesn't mean I don't love them as much. It just means that there are some different levels of correction or freedom. It's the same with the Lord. He loves us all the same. You go to heaven. But if you can understand the first and best principle, you put yourself, not only honoring him, but you put yourself in the best position for God to say, I can trust you. I can use you and I can work through you. It's good, it's good. Now, second principle is this, the principle of the tithe. Now, in the Old Testament, <clears throat> starting with Genesis, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of what God had given. God had really blessed Abram. He becomes Abraham, really blessed him, and he gave Melchizedek. We don't know the whole story. We don't know what was going on, but he gave him a 10%. So tithe in, in, the, in the word of God means 10%. So if you make $10, $1 is a tithe. If you make $100, $10 is the tithe. If you make $100,000, $10,000 is the tithe. Makes sense? It's just math. That's what a tenth is, or tithe is. Now, in Genesis, he uses that before the law. He just says, he just arbitrarily picks a number. and says, I'm gonna give you 10% of, of what you've given me. I'm so grateful, Lord. I give you 10% of the best. I give you 10% of the first. 
Then in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, it becomes a law as the children of Israel are brought from, by Moses out of Egypt into the, Joshua took him to the promised land, but Moses led him for 40 years. And then they go into the promised land, became the nation. This law comes with it now called the, the tithe. And anything they had, 10% belonged to the Lord. Through the years, they got away from that. And a prophet by the name of Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament. He says it like this, Malachi chapter three. Bring all the tithes, the 10%, into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from, uh, from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed. For your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let me give you this principle of the tithe, and that is this. The principle of the tithe is that God can do more with 90% than we can ourselves do with 100%. Does that make sense? So you could keep the 100%, and I'm saying God can do more with the 90 that you give him 10, that's an exercise in total trust. Now, we're not under the law. Do you have to do this? No. It's not, we're not under the law. We're not, we're not under this. However, the principle if, of, of God being able to do more with what we have left over, whatever you give him, let's say you give him 20%, he could do more with the 80 than you could have with the 100, or the 90 than you could do with the 100. And so you got to understand new covenant giving. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't just say, oh, forget the Old Testament and don't ever listen to it. It just means we, we learn. We learn what are the principles of the Old Covenant that we, can, that we can learn from because if left to ourselves, most of us, right now you're thinking, oh, I don't have to give 10%. Okay, great. I'm not going to give. I want to give two. That's what most of us do because we're selfish, right? We're, 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 we're about us. Here's, here's this giving, how it works in the old and how it works in the new. Old Testament giving, temple provision or preservation. New Testament giving is tied to mission. Israel never went on a mission trip. Israel never went to another country to say, hey, God, one of the prophets did, Jonah, and a few others went to another country, but most, there was never, ever a, hey, we're, we're here to go and spread Jehovah, spread Yahweh. It was mainly to themselves. They stayed to themselves. It was about preservation. Even says in Malachi 3, so that my temple, so that they, they will be able to eat. It's about preservation. Mission is New Testament. So that's why, that's why it's important that we tie our giving to mission. What is God doing in this world? And I wanna be a part of that. That's why we do what we do here at Hope. That's why we're building the Prosper Campus. That's why we bought the Albertsons in McKitty and the Albertsons in West Frisco and built this right here. I mean, it's not because I like to build. Are you kidding me? It's a headache. It is a big, fat bummer. If you ever built anything, you know. But the reason is for generations, for people that are moving. When I moved here in 2000, actually December of 99, there were 24,000 people here in Frisco. Now there's 200 plus. Can you believe that? And they all brought their cars with them, right? And they all, I mean, and it's like they all have five cars. And, and all the four-year-olds drive to, to church. They drive themselves to church. It's like, man, the park, you can't build the parking lot big enough. It's just crazy. The issue here, 
let me help you understand. It's about mission. It's about stewardship. That we here at Hope, we have a stewardship responsibility, a mission. And that's the reason we give. Not for pres- not to just keep the lights on. Not so we can stay to ourselves, but we have a mission that's important. The principle of the tithe is that God can do more. You listen, Let me say it a little different. The principle of the tithe is about trust. Are you going to trust in your ability to make wealth? Are you going to trust in the one who gives it to you? God. Frito-Lay did not give you what you have. FISD did not give you what you have. The hospital did not give you, or the business that you work for or own did not give you. God, every good gift comes from God. The principle of the tithe is about trust. Are you going to trust him? Test him, he even says. Now, number three, number three, the principle of sowing and reaping. Totally believe this. However, there have been some teaching that has gone, gotten out of balance, and it's about me and what you can do to get rich. Guys, please understand the heart behind sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says it like this. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Jesus in Luke chapter 6 says it like this. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be given. Listen, the principle of sowing and reaping is not just about money. The principle of sowing and reaping is about grace. Sowing grace, sowing mercy, sowing forgiveness. Then he says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount, listen to this, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Bottom line. And it's not about a number. It's not, it really isn't. It's not about you give 100 so you can get 1,000, the tenfold blessing or whatever. That, that, that is, I think, taking it out of balance. Understanding the heart of sowing and reaping is not about you getting rich or me getting rich. The heart of sowing and reaping is tied to mission and it's tied to heart. My heart is not I'm giving so that I'll get more Although we do, it's tied to our hearts. Let me put it on the screen like this. The principle of sowing and reaping simply is this. We cannot outgive God, period. We can't do it. And again, it goes back to trust. It goes back to God. I totally believe that all of this is yours and I'm just gonna be a good steward and I'm gonna sow forgiveness I'm gonna sow mercy and grace and I'm gonna sow money into the kingdom. That's, and the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is reminding the church in Corinth, which, was, which is modern day Greece, a city in modern day Greece, and he says, hey, listen, remember you committed to help the church in Jerusalem? They were, they were suffering persecution like crazy. They were having trouble eating. The churches that Paul had started around Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, Greece, Rome, Italy, and, and anywhere in between, Antioch, they were all giving to help the church in Jerusalem. That's the context. However, the principle of sowing and reaping is true in every part of our lives. Guys, let me just say this. If you right now are withholding forgiveness towards somebody, 
You know who suffers more than anyone? You. You're carrying that weight on you like a backpack filled with rocks. And it weighs on you. It may hurt them, but it weighs more heavily on you than them. When you judge and and withhold grace, can I tell you, what comes around goes around. And when you're in a time needing grace, needing mercy, it may not be there because you sowed something else. Same with money. When when you and I are stingy, fearful, even frustrated or angry about it, it comes back to us. And guys, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to say, hey, man, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Now, the fourth, we got one, one more after this, the principle of cheerful giving. 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 9, Paul says it like this, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, we'll take your money either way. Okay, you can, you can be a prune about it. We'll take it, doesn't matter to me. But Paul says, hey, listen, the right way to do this is to give cheerfully. The right way is that your heart wants to, not because you have to. You ever done anything? You ever corrected a kid and they said sorry to somebody else, but they didn't mean it? I remember Connor, poor little Connor boy. Our, our son, he's 28 now, but he hit somebody as a little kid. I mean, he was two or three years old, hit somebody. And, and we just said, Son, you got to say you're sorry. Wouldn't say it. Wouldn't say it. He got some correction. Got some correction. Took him outside to give him that correction. Now, say what kind of correction so you can't judge me because you don't know. But he came back in and he said he was, his name, a little guy's name was Andrew. He said he was sorry, but he didn't mean it. You know what I'm saying? I knew he didn't mean it, but I was just letting him know that, you know what, you're not going to get away with this. You got to do Listen, all I'm saying is, man, sow that and let your heart be cheerful when you give. And if you're not, so this is a valid thing. Many of us struggle with this. Many of you are like, I'll give, but I don't don't even know where it's going. Many of you are like, he just needs another thing. He's saying this so he can have another whatever. And I understand those things. But guys, if, if your heart is less than cheerful, Let me suggest a few prayers, okay? Let me just suggest a few prayers. Ask God to work in your heart because there's something wrong. Everybody look at me. If you don't pray, never read your scripture, I say you can still go to heaven, but there's something wrong. There's something wrong in your heart. If you never sing another song, You can still go to heaven, but there's something wrong in your heart. If you never give another dime, you can still go to heaven, but there's something wrong in your heart. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I mean, if we're gonna offer up our lives, truly the way to worship it, and the the reason we're doing this is we wanna walk in his will, his will, his purpose. And you can't do that. We can't do that if we withhold this part. And ask God to work in your heart. Ask God to heal your heart. If there's been, um, um, you know, something bad happened in your experience with church or in, in this regard, in, in regards to money, it, it just hits you the wrong way. Ask God to heal your heart. How about this? How about you sow some forgiveness toward that church or toward that leader or toward that whatever and let your heart heal? And then ask God to turn your fear into faith. 
Cheerful giving is a big deal. And I, I joked with you, we'll take it either way because I don't know, but you know. And if there's something wrong this way, if there's something wrong in here, guys, it's not just about going to heaven. It's about the journey here and how we steward our lives. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, it's about stewardship. It's about offering up our lives, every part of it. And then the last, the last principle of giving, which is huge, the principle of decision giving. 2 Corinthians chapter nine. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. This, again, the context is Paul reminding the church at Corinth, hey, you promised to help the church come through with that promise. And as he's telling them and reminding them about their gift or about their pledge, he gives us a little teaching on giving. And he says, now listen, don't, don't, don't do this because you feel pressure from me. And I would, I would just say to you, don't do this because you feel pressure from me. Don't give in, in, in manipulation. Somebody who manipulates you and they say to you, hey, you sow your seed into my ministry, you sow it and God's gonna bless you. And you know who's getting rich out of that? The person behind the screen. I'm, I, don't, I don't apologize for saying that. It's out of balance. Guys, this is about heart. It's about mission, not about another plane, not about another deal. It's about mission. So when our hearts are right, when our hearts are right, this principle of deciding that we, out of relationship, listen to me, get to decide this. Not because we have to, that was old covenant. Because we get to, let me put it on the screen like this. New covenant giving is a decision to give because we want to, not because we have to, remembering that we are stewards of what God has provided, not owners. Every good gift comes from the Father of light. Some of you are wealthy. Some of you have more money than you know what to do with. Can I just tell you, that money could go away tomorrow. We could lose it all in a matter of days, in a matter of weeks. We could lose it all. Every good gift, you did not get it. It's not, and now you're talented and you're gifted. I'm talented in some ways and gifted. But I don't have what I have because of my talent and my gift. I have what I have because of God. And so do you. When you understand that, everybody look at me. When you understand that, just like song, just like prayer, just like our lives, how could we not? How could we not give him? Oh God, I give with a cheerful heart. I so generously I trust implicitly and I give you the best. I give you the first. And let me just tell you something. God doesn't ask you to do anything that he's not already done. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he what? He gave everything so that you and I could be reconciled, forgiven, because of what Jesus did on the cross. God gave his son to fulfill and to end the curse of the law or sin. We give 
in response to what he's given. And we say, God, here it is. My life offered up. My, my life, my sin, everything. My prayers, my scripture, my community, my song, my money. I give it to you. Now remember, we're stewards. Many of us, many of us like, John, I've, I've given, but man, I never have enough. Well, maybe you're not a good steward. You ever thought about that? Stewardship is just as important as giving. Learning to manage what you have left over is just as important as what you give because we're accountable for all of it. So don't blame God for our lack of stewardship. Learn to be a good steward. Learn to be a giver because God led the way. And if you're here today and you didn't need this message for whatever reason, you're a giver, money's not an issue, or you walked into this room saying, I have the weight of the world on my shoulders and I just don't know how I'm gonna make it one more week. I am so depressed and I am so discouraged. I just lost my marriage. I just lost my job. I just lost a, a wife or a husband or a son or a daughter. Can I just tell you, God loves you. And just because I talked about money doesn't mean that it doesn't relate to you because I just want you to know that he led the way in giving. He gives peace. There's a scripture in Isaiah 61, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. See, that's what God does. When you give him your life, he gives back to you. I promise you this, not for our selfish reasons, but he gives back to you because that's who he is. He is a giver. And when we position ourselves, offering up our lives in every area, we position ourselves for him to bless with things that money cannot buy, whether that's peace, forgiveness, grace, mercy. So Lord, we love you. And God, I pray for those in this room that are heavy today. Heavy because of sin, heavy because of things that have happened to them, heavy because of a whole lot of reasons. God, I pray that they would trade you their sorrow, trade you their confusion, trade you their burden. And the one that you give back is light. You led the way in giving and you still do. We surrender our lives and we surrender and offer up our money. The, probably the biggest part of our lives so that you can be honored and so that our hearts and lives will be full, filled with blessing. May your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives, in our money, in this church, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.